I'm Abby Strauss, and welcome to The Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. Cynthia White is a psychiatrist in North Central Florida. We've invited her to be with us today because of her experiences as a psychiatrist, as a treating psychiatrist, with patients who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD. Dr. White, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. This is such a huge subject, and I think some of the things that people have to understand is, is it a real diagnosis, and why is it that some people seem to suffer more from a trauma and others don't seem to suffer so much from equivalent traumas? Is there anything in psychiatry that can help us understand a person who's more vulnerable to a PTSD diagnosis? This has certainly been an area of research for many years because uh, perhaps because we would like to prevent PTSD. So if we knew who was more vulnerable, that could help us. We know a few things such as people who have been exposed to trauma previously or exposed to trauma in childhood might be more susceptible. We know that people who have this quality of resilience may be less susceptible But really, it's very hard to predict. We can only say, for example, that a soldier coming back from the Vietnam War many years ago that had a one in six chance of developing PTSD after the war, but we can't tell any more specifically than that. So is that one in six uh, ratio still pretty much used today with the guys coming back from Iran and Afghanistan and other places? The last statistic I heard was possibly one in five. So that's a little bit disturbing. And any idea why? I realize you may not have the hard data, but why do you think it's more common? I think it's possibly that people may survive PTSD when they didn't survive it in the past, and they may also be more willing to seek help, and they may be more aware that there is a condition called PTSD. So the one in six actually may have been a misleading number because we weren't properly or accurately diagnosing it. Right. The actual diagnosis of PTSD did not come in existence until 1980 when the American Psychiatric Association produced its third edition of its Diagnostic and Statistical Manual which means that people who are exposed to trauma prior to 1980 could have all the symptoms of PTSD but not be treated for it because the diagnosis did not exist. Even though the symptoms did? Even though the symptoms did. Okay, well, then tell us a little bit about what PTSD. People use the term all the time, but what what do we mean by it? They do. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a very specific disorder that develops after a person has experienced a trauma that is out of the range of ordinary human experience and one that threatens their own personal integrity, possibly their life or the integrity of someone they know or the life of someone they know. That definition in itself is a little bit controversial, but we do require a trauma to happen. Then after the trauma, we would hope that the person would be able to gradually begin to feel more normal. But if they develop symptoms such as re-experiencing the trauma or uh, avoiding stimuli that in any way remind them of the trauma or persistent heightened arousal as if ready to fight or flee at a moment's notice. If people develop a significant number of symptoms in those three areas, they would then possibly be given a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. 
And there has to be a trigger. There has to be, when you take a clinical history from somebody, if I understand you correctly, there has to be something that these symptoms, uh, can we say, did not exist before the trauma, whatever the trauma was. Exactly. There has to be a trauma. Although some people uh, will talk about, is there such a thing as repetitive trauma being something that could also cause PTSD. That's not currently officially in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, but there is a considerable group of people that this would apply to. Would this apply to somebody who was the victim of verbal or physical abuse, but little by little by little, and it just accumulated? That would be exactly the case. Or one of the larger groups is the people who have experienced repeated trauma in childhood at a time when their brain and their personalities were still in the formative stages and that this actually might create a condition that is similar to PTSD. Does the trauma have to be extreme for it to be considered a trigger? Yes, that is the way it's officially diagnosed, but as I said, that can be somewhat controversial as to what constitutes an extreme trauma. One of the things that has always intrigued me, and I know you've had over your clinical experience time to work with people in the military, but one would think that being a soldier or being a police officer or working for EMS, you know, the the, the 9-11 paramedics, these people see a lot of trauma a lot of times. Are they prepared for it? Do they train for it? Are they tougher than those of us who don't? go through the training. Yes, they do train. And I believe I've heard on news reports recently that the Army has specific courses to try to increase what they call resilience. But nevertheless, people who who do experience trauma, even when it's expected, can develop PTSD. And certainly I have treated people who are first responders who have developed PTSD, not because they were in the hurricane or in the earthquake or in the bombing, but that they were present shortly thereafter and dealing with the traumatic situation. I remember that after the World Trade Towers were attacked, that there were a whole, I, I, I couldn't even count the number of people that wanted to go to New York City and help the people go through the trauma to debrief them. Is there any established or is there any, shall we say, reasonably, well, I'll use the word established again, established technique or protocol to help reduce the effects of a trauma right after it happens? There's a technique called critical incident debriefing that is fairly well known and was very highly thought of for many years. The most recent research would suggest that this is actually not particularly helpful in protecting people who are victims of a trauma from developing PTSD. And the newest behavioral first aid recommendations do not involve critical incident debriefing and they involve things like reestablishing people with their support groups, identifying resources for them to help get their lives together as being much more powerful. So if something happens to a person, be it in the military or an auto accident or whatever, what would be a reasonable suggestion, recognizing obviously that there are a lot of individual variables, but what would be in a general manner a reasonable expectation for what a person should do after a trauma has occurred? In other words, what could that person's friends or family do to help? Yes. I think what it would would be to reestablish those connections, allow the person to reach out to people that they know in a way that is not very demanding, just touching ground, and talking through what their options are with them, allowing them to express themselves 
if they want to, but if they don't want to, that's that's certainly okay also. And perhaps putting them in touch with whatever sources of strength, spiritual sources of strength that they have called on in the past. In other words, using that person's innate resilience and their established coping strategies to help them master this trauma in their life. You know, that's a very interesting point, and I think we tend to underemphasize the spirituality of things. It is a very essential element of a lot of people's life. I, I knew where a, uh, a teenager died, and I was impressed, almost um, stunned by how people took it. And the reason that they took it as well as they did is because they said it was part of God's will. And it was amazing how they were able to comfort themselves. Exactly. And they were able to call on community to be there and help each other. It's a part of um, our existence that I think very often we as psychiatrists probably do not touch often enough. I think you're right about that. So then what happens when, when is it necessary to go see a counselor, a psychiatrist, a psychologist? Where w- what would be the tipping point? I would say that if the symptoms begin to markedly impair a person's daily functioning, if they markedly impair sleep, if they markedly impair ability to work or go to school, if they start to develop problems in their relationships, and these things are not getting better within the first few weeks, then it would be time to seek a counselor. Is it expected that a person should be put on medications, or is that sort of jumping the gun? I think that would be jumping the gun to assume that if you went to a counselor, you would need to be on medications. We can oftentimes do quite a bit of good with a counseling situation, and it would be required to probably have a medical decision as to whether the symptoms require or would do better with a medication. A lot of the symptoms of PTSD look very much like a depression, and I guess that's why perhaps people would lean towards an antidepressant, but again, it could be too early. They need the counseling first. I would start with the counseling unless it was very obvious if a person were expressing suicidal thoughts or having a difficult time finding a reason for living, being overcome by guilt. Those might be situations where medication would be used sooner rather than later. The guilt that you mentioned, is that like um, what's been commonly called survivor guilt or other types of guilt perhaps? Yeah. Uh, Survivor guilt is certainly one of the more common types of guilt. There may be also uh, guilt as to a person thinking that perhaps they could have prevented the trauma or perhaps that they actually caused the trauma to happen. And this needs to be worked out in, in verbal therapy. This needs verbal therapy, and in extreme cases, as I said, if the person is having a hard time finding a, a reason for being alive, becoming preoccupied with death, then that might call for a little bit stronger intervention. I also hear, and the people that I've seen uh, in my practice, I also hear a lot about the problems that people with PTSD have regarding nightmares and insomnia. It seems like they all, and this is an overstatement, I'm sure, but it seems like, shall I say, so many of them have sleep problems. Yes, the sleep disturbance, I've often wondered about the sleep disturbance being just one of many, many, many symptoms that are possible. I almost feel like it should be in bold letters in the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual because it's such a prominent part of the PTSD. And of course, there's questions about once the sleep is disturbed by things like nightmares and hyper alertness, does that sleep deprivation then make the PTSD worse. 
and it really is one of the more prominent symptoms that will bring someone to seek help. And I would imagine also a fair number of people would try to use over-the-counter remedies for sleep or even alcohol. A very, very large number of people, I can't give you a statistic, but a very large number of people have tried it out, alcohol at least once to address their PTSD symptoms. Where what is tragic is if someone be, actually develops a problem with alcoholism as a result of attempting to relieve their symptoms. But uh, it's unfortunately somewhat common to try over-the-counter products and things like alcohol to relieve the PTSD symptoms. In your experience in actual treating people with the syndrome, how, um, how successful is the, the treatment overall? Uh, the treatment success is going to vary with how long the symptoms have been present, how long it has been since the trauma. And in the first three months after the trauma, there is a high rate of success. And people can generally go back to a fairly normal life if you could, if you consider having a memory of the trauma to be their normal life. But after it, after it gets to be for a period of years, it is much less common to have all of the symptoms go away completely. And what we end up doing is trying to ameliorate as many symptoms as we can and teach strategies and acceptance for managing the residual and persistent symptoms. This is such an enormously large topic as we talk about at the beginning of our discussion. And if someone is suffering from the signs of PTSD, they should go take a hard look at themselves and possibly go into counseling, talk to their family, talk to their minister, whomever. But don't let it persist because it is a um, situation, as you just so so eloquently said, that can be corrected and, and certainly significantly reduced. And it does have a terrible morbidity. Cynthia White is a psychiatrist in North Central Florida. I thank you so much for being with us. It was a good overview. And I hope that people take what you have to say and go where they need to go to get the help should they be suffering from this. Thank you so much. You're welcome.